0: Today on The Matt Walsh Show, Democrats and abortion supporters ranted, raved, and cried during a committee hearing on the Texas abortion law yesterday. We'll talk about that. Also, the National School Board Association is asking the Biden administration's help in fighting back against the, quote, domestic terrorists who are saying mean things to them during school board meetings. And a Republican congressman says some brave and necessary things about the family and responsibility during a hearing yesterday. And plus, Demi Lovato has an encounter with aliens, and a New York Times op-ed arg- argues that divorce— Is an act of quote radical self love. We'll discuss all of that and more today on the Matt Wall Show. Well, now a quick word from Lifelock. Listen, every time you're on the internet as you are right now, you are putting yourself in a potentially vulnerable position because there are a lot of bad people out there. Uh, who know how to exploit uh, the internet to really make your life pretty miserable. And there are other issues as well, like payments app, like payment apps like uh, Venmo and Cash App and others. They make payments easy, but you may want to adjust your privacy settings to prevent them from sharing your personal information, uh, because a recent report found that uh, third parties such as banks and fraud monitoring services, even some marketing firms, may be able to get their hands on that information. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives Every day we put our information at risk on the internet. In an instant, a cybercriminal could harm what's yours, your finances, your credit, your reputation, everything. And that's why it's so good there's LifeLock. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats. And they also give you access to a dedicated restoration specialist if you do become a victim. Uh, and so you have, you have coverage and protection on both sides of it. Look, no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But you can keep what's yours with LifeLock by Norton. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year at lifelock.com slash Walsh. That again is lifelock.com slash Walsh for 25% off. Yesterday, the House Oversight Committee uh, held a hearing about the Texas abortion law. Now, I have been reliably informed that outsiders should not get involved in the local politics of states where they don't live. Uh, I solved that problem, of course, as you know, by moving to Virginia so that I could speak at a school board in Virginia. And yet, so far as I know, none of the Democrats in Congress yesterday delivering tearful and angry speeches about the Texas abortion law have actually bothered to move there first. That's because, as we've seen, the outside agitator rule only ever applies to conservatives. I am allegedly not affected by Loudoun County policies, which means I should not have involved myself in Loudoun County issues. And yet Democrats from other states who are not affected by Texas laws can still involve themselves in Texas issues. Those are the rules, as we have seen, And those rules uh, freed up the Democrats for the sickening and theatrical spectacle yesterday. One Democrat after another, along with abortionists and others who were called in to testify, took turns in the spotlight, extolling the beauty and wonder of dismembering babies. They were effusive in their praise of abortion, which is, for them, the highest sacrament, the holy of holies, the most sacred of sacred rituals. One of the abortionists uh, called to testify actually made this point pretty clear. Listen.
1: SB 8 has not only caused a near total abortion ban in Texas, it has made it extremely dangerous to be pregnant in Texas, where our maternal morbidity and mortality rate is already unconscionably high, especially for black women and pregnant people of color. Texas deserves better. I know firsthand that abortion saves lives. For the thousands of people I've cared for, abortion is a blessing. Abortion is an act of love. Abortion is freedom. We need federal protection now. We need laws that elevate science and evidence and recognize the dignity and autonomy of people accessing care.
0: What a ghoul. What a absolute demon. She says abortion is a blessing. It's an act of love. Freedom. But love for who, exactly? Freedom from what? Well, love for oneself, presumably and uh, freedom from your child, from your responsibilities. She's correct, at least in one sense. Abortion is an act of self-love. It is, in some ways, the ultimate act of self-love because you are prioritizing your own comfort, convenience, and lifestyle above all else, above even your own child. We'll have more on this concept of self-love in the Daily Cancellation at the end of the show. Abortion is the high sacrament of leftism because leftism is a religion of the self. It is the worship of the self, which is to say that it is Satanism. So there's there's a certain truth there. But as for the freedom, that's illusory at best. A woman can kill her child to be free of the responsibilities of parenthood, but she'll she'll never really be free. Abortion kills the child. It doesn't erase the fact that the child ever existed. It doesn't turn the clock back. So while she's free from the responsibilities of motherhood, she will have substituted the strain of those responsibilities with the crushing burden of guilt, heartbreak, and grief for the rest of her life. Even women who are pro-abortion and post-abortive will admit to this, and yet they speak of freedom. It's not freedom. It is rather trading one burden for another, and the new burden is much worse than the one you were trying to escape. And then there was uh, the ancient feminist Gloria Steinem, who testified by video, apparently streaming via camcorder from the year 1994, and Steinem used her time to point out that, hey, you know, Hitler also banned abortion. Coincidence? She thinks not.
2: That's why what's happening in Texas is not only a local issue or a women's issue, it's a step against democracy, which allows us to control our own bodies and our own voices. Remember, when Hitler was elected, and he was elected, his very first official act was to padlock the family planning clinics and declare abortion a crime against the state. Mussolini did exactly the same thing because they knew that controlling reproduction and nationalizing women's bodies is the first step in a controlling state, an all controlling state. The huge majority of American women stand for democracy and in opposition to Texas Senate Bill 8. We do not want to have our bodies nationalized.
0: So Texas making its own laws is an attack on democracy, but Congress trying to erase or undermine those laws uh, from the federal position is not. But she she says Hitler banned abortion. And I guess that means that pro-lifers are Nazis. Of course, Hitler was also a conservationist. He was also an environmentalist which means that they're all Nazis too. And Hitler confiscated guns, which makes the gun control crowd Nazis. Hitler also sometimes, from, from what I understand, would eat cereal for breakfast. That's, this, this casts sinister new light on anybody who's ever had a bowl of fruity pebbles. As for Hitler's abortion policy, Steinem is leaving out an important detail. Hitler banned abortion for ethnic Germans. He didn't want babies of the master race to be killed. But he felt very different about babies of the undesirable races. For them, he encouraged abortion or even mandated it. You see, Hitler believed in eugenics. So did Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood. The Hitler abortion comparison cuts against the pro-abortion crowd because they, in fact, share many of his attitudes towards the procedure. Consider the fact that Hitler and pro-abortion people in America in the year 2021 have the exact same attitude about disabled babies in the womb. The vast majority of Down syndrome babies are aborted in some Western countries, down syndrome people have been almost entirely exterminated. Hitler had the same approach to the same group of people. He looks up from hell to the pro-abortion lobby and nods in approval. No doubt looking forward to the day when the people in that lobby will be joining him. Speaking of which, Ayanna Presley shared her thoughts at the hearing as well. And uh, one thing you know about her, and you got to give her credit for this, she always stays on message. Listen.
1: These misguided bans will not actually prevent all abortions. They simply put safe... And necessary abortion care out of reach for our most vulnerable, specifically our lowest income sisters, our queer, trans and non-binary siblings, black, Latinx, AAPI, immigrants, disabled and indigenous folks. And none of this is happenstance. It is precise. Like the roots of the anti-abortion movement, these bans are rooted in patriarchy and white supremacy.
0: Always on message. Yes, queer, trans and non-binary people are especially hurt by Anti-abortion laws? This claim is never explained, mostly because it is abject, abject nonsense. But Ayanna Presley simply cannot give her opinion on any subject or talk about anything at all without giving this list of special protected identities. I'm sure she's in, like, the drive through line at Wendy's going, Yes, I, along with the members of the trans, non-binary, queer, indigenous, BIPOC, polyamorous, and Latinx communities, would like to order a Frosty. So you want a Frosty for all those people or just yourself? I'm confused. But out of everyone, Rashida Tlaib probably won the Oscar for Best Actress, actress uh, at the hearing yesterday. Tlaib has uh, taken on in recent times more of sort of the, uh, the Ringo position in the squad, the forgotten member. She doesn't get the same press. That used to be the case for Ayanna Presley, but it seems there's been a, a reshuffling within the squad, which is really interesting, leaving Rashida Tlaib out on the outskirts. And I think she tried to rectify that yesterday. Listen to this.
1: You know, I, re- I grew up in the most beautiful blackest city in the country where 85% of the city of Detroit is black and it's beautiful and black mothers are the ones who told my mother to raise her voice when she had that heavy immigrant like, accent at parent meetings. And, you know, I'm sitting here listening to people pretending, disingenuously, honestly, that they actually care about the lives of my black neighbors. I always get emotional about this because I cannot believe that my colleagues, who didn't vote for the George Floyd Justice for Policing Act, are talking about the fact that Planned Parenthood, which I believe is literally one of the only health care places and institutions like cities like mine. The fact that we have some of the worst infant mortality rates in the country among black children. We can't even get them to one year old. It's like, why aren't we spending the same energy, Dr. And saving those lives, getting them to one year. How come when I was in the Michigan legislature, they spent so much time on this that they never wanted to talk about that single mother that we needed to make sure that she had the wraparound services?
0: Okay, first of all, I can't take you seriously if you start by claiming Detroit is beautiful. Detroit is about as beautiful as a highway rest stop bathroom. As for the rest of it, Talib says she's worried about infant mortality. She wants to make sure that we get babies to one-year-old. And the best way to do that is to kill them intentionally in the womb. Apparently, this is the kind of argumentation you get from that side. Here's uh, just a little bit more from Talib.
1: No, this is about controlling women in our country. Period. Stop pretending it's anything but. You know what's so distressful about all of this is the fact that it's not just Texas, Chairwoman. You know this. This is gonna. Ha- this is literally opening the floodgates to the possibility that we are actually going to. See, our country punish and criminalize abortion, criminalize women, making a very difficult decision.
0: It would be funny if it weren't so gross to watch these ranting, scowling women pretend that there's some higher, nobler reason for their rage. This is about controlling women, they shout. Which even if that were the case, these megalomaniacs have no problem controlling people, women or otherwise, when it comes to most any other issue. They even have no problem making decisions about a woman's body, as we've seen uh, with the vaccine and the mask mandates. But of course, it isn't true, and they know that. It has nothing to do with controlling women. They know that also. They 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 understand, and as was said early on, you know, this is about the elevation of the self. This is about putting the self above all things. And the more these people talk, the more hearings they give. I think the better it is for our side, because the more they reveal what really lies underneath all of this. Let's get now to our five headlines. If you're one of the millions of Americans, male or female, who deals with bags and puffiness under the eyes, well, let me tell you about GenuCell Serum from Chaminix. GenuCell Serum uses plant cell technology to promote visibly healthier skin and the appearance of younger, healthier eyes, Genucell's state-of-the-art technology will become your most powerful weapon against under-eye bags and puffiness. Customers everywhere have been raving about this product. I've been raving about it. Not only that, but my assistant Tessa has been using Genucell for a couple of weeks. I just think it's funny to say. It's like I'm using my I'm using my assistant as a as you know a, some sort of lab rat experimenting. Um, that's not what's happening at all, but uh, GenuCell is actually great. It's a great product. It really is. And I've had many conversations with Tessa about GenuCell, and we both agree that it is fantastic. With its instant effects, you'll see results in the first 12 hours or your money back. They guarantee. So order now and save big on GenuCell's risk-free introductory offer. All orders are up to 50% off. Go to GenuCell.com and enter Matt30 for an extra 30% off today. That's GenuCell.com. GenuCell.com. You know, uh, I think I'm usually pretty low maintenance, but there have been a couple of incidents recently where I've had these, uh, I don't know, prima donna moments, I guess. Uh, like last night, heading to my, my speaking event here in Memphis, security came to pick me up, and I realized I forgot to pack a tie, and I was the keynote speaker at a fundraising banquet. So I asked them to uh, take me somewhere like on the way so that I could get one, and we went to, to a Walmart because, you know, that's, I mean, that's, of course, really, really classy. And, and, but it was the closest thing nearby to the, to the venue. And uh, the security guy was with me, and we're walking through Walmart, and we're walking around the men's section. And apparently, they don't sell ties at Walmart. That's, that was a revelation for me. So then they said there's a men's warehouse nearby, and I said, okay, let's go to the men's warehouse. And we were already late at this point. And the uh, security guy came in with me, and we went into the men's warehouse. I had to ask him what color my shirt was, and he helped me match a tie. Um, and uh, finally, I bought one, and we're late to the event at this point, and I missed— there was supposed to be a meet-and-greet, and I missed it. And we had to do it after because I was getting the tie— but then as we, as we pulled up, I looked, and I realized that um, it was a more casual event than I thought. And so I said, never mind, I'm not going to wear the tie. And so it was all of that, and I didn't even wear it. And, uh, you know, so just, you, you have little moments like that. But I think, I think for the most part, I'm, I'm pretty, still a pretty low-maintenance guy. All right, so we, we've been playing uh, a lot of clips from this, from this hearing from the bad guys. And I don't mean to oversimplify it, but I mean, it really is that simple. They're just, they, they're the bad guys. And when, when, when this is what you're, you're standing for and this is what you're, this is what you're enraged about is that we're going to be killing fewer babies, then you're, that's the bad guy side. And there's a very clear line that we can draw there. So we played some of the bad guy clips. There's one other clip I wanted to play for And I'm saving it for here because Representative Burgess Owens, he's on the good side. He, uh, in the midst of all of this lunacy, he interjected with, I'm trying to stop myself from using the phrase truth bombs because I hate that phrase, but I'll allow it here just this one time. It's the only time you'll ever hear me say it because I think these really are, if anything qualifies as a truth bomb, then then this actually is. Listen to what he has to say.
3: I think if we're going to ever get to resolving the issues we have in in the black community, we got to be honest, my friends. Uh, we just heard that... Uh, a pushback on the fact that we're getting black men in the black community not doing their job. Well, let me give you the facts real quick. First of all, when I was growing up in the 60s, we led the country and men committed to marriage over 70%. Black women could, could, could rely on getting married more than white women, until, white women until 1970. We now have between 70 to 80% of black fathers who desert their families. And we're not willing to be honest about that we're not willing to, to say that these, these guys need to man up. Maybe when Mr. we start telling, healed? maybe we start telling our, our kids that they're being nothing but whiners, weens, and wimps if men cannot take care of their own kids. That might be a good start.
2: I reject the uh, words. Well, of let this me, please, let Mr. Me, Chairman.
3: I call for order. I call for order. We right now. The facts are in.
4: Order. Mr. Big says
3: the time. The facts are in. Facts. Black fathers. 70 to 80% are deserting their families. You talk, to, talk to these black single women out there and see what they think about this. We sit in this little bubble where we're living the life, we're married, many of us, and we cannot be honest about what's happening in our urban communities. While well, these kids are growing up with no fathers, yeah, no examples. At the end of the day, there's a reason why our kids are being led toward these, this, these options of hopelessness. And for us to sit here in 20, 2021, no, no, not right now, I'm sorry, let me just finish. To sit here in 2021 and not point out the fact that we have fatherless homes, we have 70 to 80 percent. These are the facts, my friends. 70 to 80 percent will not marry the mothers of their children and instead will probably try to convince them so they, to dissolve them from their issues to go and get an abortion. We've lost 20 million black babies over the last 40 years. 40% of my race has been exterminated <coughs> because we don't have men.
0: Yeah. I, want, I, I wanted to play as much of that clip as I could. It wasn't even the whole, it, the whole thing. It goes on for another few minutes. And uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's great. It, 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 two things are great about it and very instructive and revealing. Uh, the one is what he's saying, but also you hear the woman, I'm not even sure which, which congresswoman that is, but frantically trying to cut in. It's, I object to this language that's being used he he actually says, "Well, we got to take responsibility, care for our families." I object to that language. This is offensive. I can't believe what's being said. Can I? Can I? Are you finished? Can I? Can I? J- they're they're so terrified to have that conversation. They don't want to have this conversation at all about taking responsibility for yourself and your own families. They don't want to talk about the state of the family in the black community and across the country, and how that ties into. All of our problems, every single problem that we're having, societally speaking, every single one, can be traced uh, in large part back to the collapse of the family. This, this is no great secret. And it, it shouldn't require any courage to point it out. And I shouldn't be so impressed that there's a, a someone in Congress making this point because it's so obvious You you can't have a society without the family. we've We've got thousands of years of history to look at with human civilization. And we can look out throughout the world and throughout history at every single civilization that's ever existed on the planet. Every human civilization. And there's never been one that has tried to do it without the family structure at the foundation of it. It can't happen. You can't do it. Because that that is that is the fundamental building block for for everything else. Everything else rests upon the family. And if you abandon the family, there's there's nothing else that can come in and sufficiently take its place. That's the experiment that we are conducting right now. Especially in the cities. Can we get rid of the family say we don't need the family and have the government come in and uh, and take over that responsibility. you know we don't need we don't need fathers to be the breadwinners and the providers and the protectors. the government could we can do that we can put them on the social programs we put them on the welfare programs um and we you know we have a bunch of cops there and and you know so we, we, we fill out with provider protector we fill all those roles as the government. So we have watched this experiment play out in the cities for decades. And to put it mildly, it has not worked. I mean, it's been a catastrophe. It has been an an apocalyptic catastrophe. That's why when you walk through cities today, it looks like a literal apocalyptic wasteland you're walking through. And all, all that you're seeing there, that is the debris of the nuclear family, which has collapsed. In the cities and also across the country, increasingly. Fatherless homes are a problem uh, across the country. People are abandoning marriage, abandoning nuclear family. I mean, this is this is a a social trend that you find everywhere. Um, Now, the fact that this is happening and the consequences of it are inescapable. And the Democrats know that. And so they're they're only there's nothing they can say in response to it. So instead, they just try to ignore it, and they they always deflect and say, "Oh, let's look over there. Look at look, let's look. no 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 no. We don't need to talk about. Let's talk about guns. Let's let's talk if there's if there are you know young men in the cities running around shooting each other for no reason. Uh, let, let's talk about how they got the hand, their hands on those guns. That's the problem. Let let's not discuss why those young men would want to behave that way in the first place. What went so horribly wrong? in their upbringing, in their home lives, that if they have guns, they're just going to go out and shoot each other for no reason. Nah, let's not talk about that part of it. No, no, no. Let's just discuss the guns. So that's what Democrats want to do. And if someone sits there, especially some Burgess Owens, Burgess Owens, a black man, uh, if, if he sits there and talks about this, they get very angry and they, they don't want to discuss it. And that tells you everything you need to know. In fact, at one point, I think she actually says she said something like, "Well, what are your solutions? Well, you're not you're not coming up with any solutions." Yeah, he is. He gave the solution. That, that's, that's the solution was, take fathers take care of your families. You know, when you have kids, get married preferably before you have the kids, um, but worst case after if that's what if that's what you need to do. And, uh, and, then st- and, and, and stay with your kids and raise them. That's the solution. Have kids, a woman, a man, have kids, they stay in the same house, and they raise those kids. That's the solution. If you're saying, well, give us a solution besides that. Let's not do that and think of a different solution. There isn't one. There is no other solution. There is no plan B. Because they've been looking for a plan B for decades and they haven't found one. So if we're giving up on the family, then, we're, then we just, we've given up on society. We've given up on civilization. There's no point in even talking about any of this stuff. For, just forget about it. There's no point. We've given up. Let it all collapse and we'll, we'll all live in the ruins, I guess. If you want a real solution, it has to begin there. Yeah, there are other things we can do. It's not like if we have a strong nuclear family in, in, a, in America that we're going to live in a utopia, there's still going to be other problems we have to fix. but we've got to start there. Have kids, stay at home with them. If we're ruling that out, if you're not going to do that, then then there's no hope. Then we, we are hopeless at that point. So it's this or it's nothing. All right, here's a a CBS report about the National School Board Association asking for Biden's help to stop the domestic terrorists, that's their phrase, um, the domestic terrorist attacks against them, otherwise known as parents giving their opinions at school board meetings. Here's that report.
4: School board officials are calling for help tonight. You cowards. Following increasingly violent incidents like this in Minnesota a man complimenting school board members during a debate over masks, who's then charged by an unmasked man. Writing to President Biden, the National School Boards Association asked for help investigating the violent incidents and suggested the FBI monitor threats to board members likening these heinous actions to domestic terrorism. The impact of the pandemic on public schools is creating this, all this heightened rhetoric around the nation. And unfortunately, in some places, it's leading to threats and actual incidents of violence. Former Nevada School Board member Kurt Thigben said that he resigned after the constant harassment over email, phone and social media made him think about suicide. He cited the January 6th insurrection as a trigger for the unruly behavior.
0: They were coming after me and my colleagues
4: consistently
0: every day. Uh, through multiple mediums, they saw me as a target for their hate.
4: The White House responding today to the school board letter saying that they're looking at what more the administration can do. Obviously,
1: these threats to school board members is uh, horrible. They're doing their jobs.
4: Obviously, local police are still going to have a presence at these very contentious, sometimes violent school board meetings. But what school officials nationwide want is for the feds to provide some level of intel that will give them some sense of what kind of threats are heading their way.
0: Yeah, we keep hearing about uh, the heinous, heinous actions at these school board meetings. Violence, domestic terrorism. And then uh, they show us clips. I get. Sh- I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they're showing us the worst of it. If, they, if there's if there's something worse, they would have showed us that. And the clips, for the most part, it's like people yelling and getting upset. And every once in a while, we, all these school board meetings across the country, there have been a couple of cases of of minor scuffles breaking out that are broken up, and no one is seriously injured. So this is this is that as far as violence goes that's it a couple of minor scuffles that's it that's the end of that and and by the way it's it's not as though this is entirely on the part of the conservative parents which is what we're supposed to take away from this as you know I have been to some of these meetings and uh very often there are people on the other side as well and then that's where th- that's where the arguing and shouting comes from so a couple of minor scuffles, no one seriously injured, and then outside of that, it's it's mostly just people getting upset and uh you know, maybe raising their voices a little bit. And this is a this is a domestic terrorist crisis. We we, so we can't have that. What well, the real crisis here is that these people on these school boards that are that have been so accustomed for years, they've had such a great job where they get to go in and they go to their meetings, and, and, and really no one in the public shows up, and nobody cares. And they set the policies, and they do exactly what they want, and they're uncontested. And um, they have an enormous amount of power in setting education policy in their districts, deciding what kids are going to be taught, how they're going to be treated. Just this enormous power they have. And for years, it's like nobody noticed that they had this power. And finally, people are noticing, and they're saying, "Wow, you know what? Those people on those boards—they—they—they they, uh, they have a, a significant amount of control over my kids and my family. Really, I think I want to have a say in this." People are—the public is noticing. They're going to public meetings, and this is a, this is a, this is a, is a crisis because these school boards—they can't—they cannot defend their policies. They can't argue in favor of them. So all they can do is just label you, say you're a domestic terrorist, and now they're going to the Biden administration. And next thing you know, we're going to have um, uh, federal involvement in school boards. And yet again, i got to go back and, and to, to, to the irony here uh, and the, the hypocrisy of, uh, you know, I go to Loudoun County School Board and I'm interfering. Now the school boards themselves are going to the federal government. And saying, please interfere. So while they're they're telling the outsiders, the agitators, don't come, they are the ones going and getting outsiders and saying, please come here. And stop these these mean people from uh, saying all these these horrible things about us. I'm sorry, I I just don't have any sympathy. I don't want to hear about, oh, we, we got this we've got death threats we've got everything for uh, n- number one like I always say with death threats I I don't I don't believe it until you until you show me the receipts on that everyone's always claiming every, every time someone you know is 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 being criticized the public they, we always get these claims oh, I got so many death threats uh, death threats coming all over the place I, I just don't buy it until you like show it to me that you're actually getting those death threats or I don't believe it I think there are a lot of people just claiming they get death threats um and even if you are that, that I get death threats as well. I know what that's like. It's not fun. I've experienced that. Uh, but even if you get death threats, that's not good. I don't approve of that. But it doesn't suddenly vindicate whatever you were doing that upset people. All right. Um, what else we got here? Oh, this is really important. We got we to cover this. So Demi Lovato... As you know, I'm a big fan of Demi Lovato, uh, who most re- I think she what is she non-binary now or was, no was she pansexual or no lesbian but she's or she was lesbian and then and then went pansexual and most recently she's non-binary. So she's been going through this uh, this little bit of transformation, and um, now she has also come out as a believer in aliens, and so this brings together it's like two wor- of my worlds are colliding: Demi Lovato, aliens. She's, she even has a show now, I think, where she goes on, on the hunt for, for aliens. And here she is on the E! News channel talking about her own experiences with uh, space aliens. Very interesting. Listen.
3: Do you believe in UFOs? Uh, yes. kinda. Well, Demi Lovato does in her new show, Unidentified with Demi Lovato. Demi drags their sister and best friend into the woods to hunt for the unexplained. And they told Aaron all about it.
2: ¿Vale? Oh my goodness! Wait, this is so grossy. Convince us why we should watch the show. We
4: laughed a lot, and we saw some really interesting
0: things that we catch on camera. I just have a curiosity about this topic that I've
2: always, I've always had, and um, and so I wanted to find out for myself.
4: Say hi to Night Vision.
2: Hi, Night Vision. <laughs> and you two were pretty skeptical at first. What was the turning point for you? Yeah,
4: I mean, I identified as a non-believer coming in, and I. I would say I'm definitely a lot less of a skeptic than I was before. With all this UFO stuff, like... You know, being open and being ready to accept it helps, and I think we were, and I think that shows. And Demi, you had an encounter before shooting
2: the show. Can you please give us the details on that
0: experience? We went out into the desert in Joshua Tree, and I basically saw, like, this blue orb that
4: uh, was about 50 feet away, um, maybe less, and it was just... It was kind of like floating above the ground, just
0: like 10 or 15 feet, but was keeping its distance from me. And I don't know, it just, um, it was really, it was a really beautiful and incredible experience. Yeah, I think those might have been the drugs that you were taking. But no, I, actually, no, I, I be, listen, I believe you, Demi Levi, I believe you on this. Uh, some of the other claims you've made about yourself I, I find a little bit hard to believe like that you're both both man and woman all, all, all at once contained within one person. That part I'm not sure about. but aliens, I believe. I believe you, I hear you. you are valid and I I just I buy it. And I say that mostly unironically. There, there are too many people who have had these experiences and how do you, how do you explain it all? I, mean, I I guess you know there there are a lot of a lot of potential explanations but none of them as interesting as the explanation that we're being visited by uh space aliens. I, why do they keep coming here in their in their orbs and then leaving? It's just like coming a long way and then leaving and then they just they keep coming. You think whatever they were looking for they would have found by now and realize that this, this is not where they want to be. So I can't explain any of that. I mean, in Demi Lovato's case, I guess I can't explain it. If these uh, these aliens came all this way many light years and they're, they're about to land on Earth and the first people they see are Demi Lovato and her crew, you can't really blame them for saying, never mind, guys, we made a mistake. Let's get out of here. Let's go check out Jupiter instead. All right, let's... Uh, okay, one other thing, I think, before we get to comments... Uh, Let's see. This is from the Daily Wire. It says, former Tonight Show host Jay Leno knows comedy, having started in stand-up way back in the early 1970s. But Leno says the recent emergence of cancel culture has changed the rules of comedy. During an appearance this week on the People Every Day podcast, the 71-year-old comedian said that those who hope to succeed nowadays will have to adapt. Uh, Leno said, I think it's like any other thing. You either change or die. In football, you have certain rules. And when the rules change, if you don't conform to them, you're out of the game. Leno said sexist, racist, and homophobic jokes were once considered okay, but all that has changed. Now everybody has a voice He said, you have to change the material to the times you live in. My attitude is, look, these are the new rules. You want to adapt. If you don't, fine. Don't get up and tell jokes then. This is really kind of amazing to hear from a, a, a comedian. He is he's, he's openly saying that if you want to be a comedian, you have to conform and follow the rules. Now, silly me, I thought that the point of of comedy was exactly the opposite of that. Especially if you're in the business of being a stand-up comedian. Your, Your job is to find all of the societal rules and the things that people are conforming to. And you break those rules on purpose. You point out the absurdity of them. That might not be the 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 single thing that comedy does, but it's one of comedy's most important functions, and I think it's actually an it is an an important thing for society. We need that. I, I actually believe that comedians have performed a valuable service in our country, in the past anyway, by pointing to finding these uh, these sacred cows, these elephants in the room that nobody talks about, and pointing to the elephant and saying, look at that elephant, isn't that funny? Like that—that that You need that in society, I think. And you're also holding powerful people accountable. Uh, but now we have comedians saying, oh, no, 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 here are the rules. You don't want to follow the rules and conform. They just don't tell any jokes. All right, let's get now to reading the comments, uh, and let's play the song first. I almost forgot the song, but I didn't. This is Knit Girl says, if we are so influenced by the pictures of a no-name person on Instagram that companies will pay thousands uh, so that said person will peddle their shampoo on their feed. And I think it's safe to say that as a culture, we're influenced by the content we consume. We canceled our Netflix subscription last November and subscribed to DW with that money. Good good choice. Uh, I've encouraged several others in my little circle to do the same little by little. This is a response, I guess, to our conversation we had about uh, the Squid Game show on Netflix right now, the most popular show on Netflix. Uh, There are some other perspectives on that, though. Joshua Gibbon says, I think that article about Squid Game was completely over the top. It's nowhere near that focused on gore, as it implies. Saw is far worse. It might not be your cup of tea or your cup of key. Totally fine, but I won't really call Squid Game torture porn. It doesn't really focus on the gore, though it does have it. And its general point is that these things are bad. The focus in Squid Game is on the characters. The gore is incidental, exactly like you described in Saving Private Ryan. And Hanky Hankerson says, I respectfully disagree with your interpretation of Squid Game. I've only seen the first episode so far, but it's clear just from that episode that the game and the violence in the the game is framed as an extreme product of the social-slash-economic dysfunction endemic in in Korea. The Korean economy is a highly competitive world with a handful of big winners and a large number of distraught losers. The series is a clever critique of that reality. I think you should watch the first episode, then come back to the the show and uh, let viewers know what you think. Okay, yeah, I I haven't watched it. I I have no interest in watching it. Um, I mean, this idea that you can't make any judgment calls about a show or a movie without watching it, I think is ridiculous. I mean, there there, there are certainly things where, uh, there are plenty of movies and shows where you can kind of understand the basic gist without actually having to watch it. Um, I mean, I've never watched The Bachelor, but I, 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 I think I'm pretty safe in making some assumptions about that show, which is why I don't watch it. Um, as for this, I mean, this idea that it's a parody of the social and economic uh, situation in, in, in Korea and across, and across the world, maybe it is, I'm skeptical because I heard that exact same rationalization with uh, what was that movie that came out and won all the Oscars um, it was a parasite yeah I think that was the one and it's, it's, I heard the same exact thing like a very violent movie and uh, there, there are there are scenes that might seem gratuitous but it's actually it's it's this this really clever uh, critique of social inequality and it's a, it's a comment on the class system and class structures and I watched the movie with that in mind and no it's not it's just a it's if you if you, you you could try to turn any movie into that if you want to but I didn't see it with parasite I thought that movie was pretty bad and with this maybe but but I'm skeptical I mean again the point with violence in a in a in a, in a film is, you know, is it a necessary part of the story? And like, that's why I use Saving Private Ryan as one of many examples. But in a, in a movie like that, if you're going to tell a story about things that happen in war, if you're going to tell a war story, then violence is a necessary part of that. You take violence out of that and you might as well not tell the story. You can't tell the story without the violence because it's a part of it. And I think we can all agree that there are plenty of stories worth telling um, that have happened in, uh, in the context of war. So that's obviously the case there. Um, And you just have to ask yourself, with this this show or any other, is this violence part of the story? Is it moving the story forward? Is it it an important and necessary element? Or is it just something for us to gawk at? Is the violence an end in itself in the film or in the show? Where, Where at least part of the entertainment value is simply watching the violence itself play out. There's a lot of that. Of course, there are a lot of shows like that, a lot of movies like that. Not all of them are over the top gory, but I think violence in that context, no matter how gory it is, you know, can can be a problem. It's it, it, I think it it that's when it qualifies as gratuitous. Um, okay, I mean it's the same thing with like sexual content in a in a in a film. I mean we, we can all agree that that romance and love these are important parts of story sometimes, but very, very often the filmmakers go far beyond that, and they show you things uh, that were not necessary for the story at all, and the only reason they're putting that in there is for is, is for us to just gawk at. So, All right. Uh, Parva says, the great thing about dating apps is that as a person who approaches people in person, I have almost no competition. Well, you're right about that, because I, it's like nobody does that anymore. So yeah, I guess you, the the field is open for you. It's a good strategy. Uh, JK says, hey, Matt, what airline do you normally fly with? Whichever one gets me there the fastest and is, has the best prices. I, I I don't have any loyalty to any airline because they're all pretty terrible. Um, there was a time when maybe you would say Southwest is sort of different. But I think Southwest, especially with the masking stuff, in recent, uh, in recent months has kind of fallen off. So at this point, they're all equally as abysmal. So there's no point in even... Getting that particular about it. And finally, Dan says, you can't really blame Jada Pinkett Smith for what she did. She didn't want to do it. She cheated against her will. Dan, there are some who would ban you from the show for that, but I will not because I appreciate a good pun, sir. So thank you for that. I can still remember when I was a kid, we had uh, these things called, you kids don't know about this, but we had these things called photo albums. And it wasn't something on a phone. We didn't have them on the phones. Phones were connected to the wall. There was no photos on them. Uh, But it was an actual book that you would open up, and you would flip through it, and there would be like you'd put physical pictures inside it, and that's just one of the antiquated forms of technology we used to use. To and that's where we kept all of our memories and our cherished, you know, uh, uh, events of the past, all there. Problem is, where are those things now? They're in an attic. They're in a basement. They're collecting dust. Maybe they're you know they're getting ruined by floods and, and everything else. That's why you need Legacy Box. Legacy Box is your chance to have aging photographs, films, tapes, everything digitally preserved so that you have the ability to relive your family history and it's never lost because of a leaky pipe or summer days that made your attic hot enough to melt tapes. Plus, this week, Legacy Box is offering 40% off at LegacyBox.com slash Walsh so that you can start future-proofing your past today. I've used Legacy Box myself. I cannot recommend it enough. So visit LegacyBox.com Walsh to take advantage of this limited-time offer for 40% off Take advantage of this exclusive offer today and then use their kit whenever you're ready. That's LegacyBox.com Walsh to save 40% off LegacyBox.com Walsh. Let's get now to our daily cancellation. There are days when it's hard to find something to cancel. Well, that's not exactly true. I mean, there, there are always millions of options. But today the cancellation presents itself to me, taking the decision out of my hands entirely. Um, I have no choice but to cancel this. This is an op-ed just published in the New York Times written by a professor at the University of San Francisco School of Law named Laura Balzone, And the title is, Divorce Can Be an Act of Radical Self-Love. The professor begins, I used to believe that divorce is a terrible thing, particularly when children are involved. Growing up, I absorbed cultural tropes about absent fathers and efficiency apartments, mothers struggling to support themselves, and awful step-parents and unwanted step-siblings. To this day, divorce is portrayed as precarious and grim. Well, yes, it is portrayed that way because it is that way. But the professor says that she has a she has had a, a revelation. and She sees it differently now. She continues, But I've learned that divorce can also be an act of radical self-love that leaves the whole family better off. My divorce nearly seven years ago freed me from a relationship that was crushing my spirit. It freed my children, then five and three, from growing up in a profoundly unhealthy environment. And then, you know, amid all of the disingenuous rationalizations, she says something shockingly honest. She says, quote, There was no emotional or physical abuse in our home. There was no absence of love. I was in love with my husband when we got divorced. Part of me is in love with him still. I suspect that will always be the case. Even now, after everything, when he walks into the room, my stomach drops the same way it does before the roller coaster comes down. I divorced my husband not because I didn't love him. I divorced him because I loved myself more. Now, I want to focus on that last sentence there. But first, let's just read how she wraps all this up first. She writes, quote, Talking to the subset who are divorced, I found a common theme, even a sisterhood. Divorce is painful and heartbreaking, but it can also be liberating, pointing the way toward a different life that leaves everyone better off, including the children. I no longer think of divorce as shameful or feel sorry for people who tell me that they have decided to end their marriages. There are many ways a family can be broken. Sometimes the healthiest decision is to remove the cracking shell of the nuclear family before the shards embed themselves in the precious little people nestled inside. My divorce spared my children that pain. And let me live the life that I was meant to. I view that as an accomplishment. Now, in between that final paragraph and the bit about loving herself more, she explains that the reason for the divorce was her own refusal to put her marriage and family before her career. She was always primarily focused on her job, even when she was at home. And she doesn't say that in a reflective or remorseful way. She's proud of the ways that she uh, neglected her children and her spouse. And she's even prouder of wrecking her marriage and destroying her family. This is all an accomplishment, she says. She claims, as these people always do, that it's been better for the kids. And you can tell that she doesn't really believe that. doesn't care anyway. You know, she, she doesn't love her kids all that much. At least she doesn't love them as much as she loves herself. She makes that clear. Her kids barely figure into the story at all. She simply waves them away with a few lines about how they're doing well and they're super happy about this broken home situation Divorced people will often tell this kind of story about how the kids are better off. What they mean is that the kids have adapted. um, They've they've made the best of the circumstances, and they've internalized a lot of the pain and trauma of what you've done to them. That's the kind of better off we're talking about. Often I'll hear, and the author makes a similar case, that, hey, the kids are better off with divorced parents than with parents who are, are miserable and angry and fighting all the time and creating an emotionally and psychologically tumultuous environment at home. Okay, but why are those the two options? I mean, yeah, if you say to the kids, listen, you can either have divorced parents or you can have parents who are awful to each other every day and screaming at each other and pitting you guys against each other. Um, If you present those options, maybe lots of kids would choose the former. But what about the option where mom and dad grow up a little and stop thinking about themselves so much and go out and get the counseling they need and fight for their family and their marriage and stay together that way why has that been taken off the table? And if you've taken it off the table, stop saying the kids are better off. They're better off arguably between these two false and bad options you've given them. But this woman has enough honesty and self-awareness to admit the truth. She loves herself more. She doesn't say it like it's an admission. She's proud of it. She she has the wrong view of her own radical self-love, but she has at least identified the real point. She loves herself more. And indeed, No marriage can work that way. No family can function when the people who are supposed to be keeping it together are primarily focused on their own comfort and well-being. Marriage is the radical giving of the self to another. It is a radical act of love, outward love. You cannot give yourself to another while prioritizing yourself over the other, as this woman has discovered. Now, I say that she's right to identify her self-love as the source of her marital disintegration, but really, self-love probably isn't the right term you know, it's a bit of an oxymoron, if anything. Love, after all, is a choice. It's a thing you do. It's an act of sacrifice. Affection is a feeling. Love is an activity. So how can you really love yourself sacrificially? How can you sacrifice for yourself? If it's for yourself, then it's not a sacrifice, by definition. It seems that when people talk about loving themselves, what they mean is either conjuring warm feelings about themselves, which is not love, Or they mean simply putting themselves first before everyone else, which is just selfishness. The word love doesn't belong in either scenario. Love is inherently outward. It goes out from within to lift up and elevate the other. Love that goes out and comes back like a boomerang to elevate the lover herself is, again, selfishness. So let's not sully a noble word like love by associating it with that. So this woman has chosen selfishness over love, over her family, over her marriage. She claims to be happy with the choice for now, and maybe she is for now, but if she has any sort of conscience at all, that she already has at least some quiet moments, home alone after work where the loneliness sets in, she feels deeply isolated by her own selfishness, wonders what any of this striving and effort and career ambition is really worth when she's doing it just for herself, those moment, moments will become more frequent, less quiet as she grows older and older, and she'll no doubt find other people to blame, but that's not going to change anything. Or relieve her misery. And I know that it will play out this way because it always does. It's inevitable. When people prioritize themselves above all else, when they live lives of selfishness, they eventually get exactly what they wanted. Just themselves. Alone. Isolated. No one to love or be loved by. It's how the story always ends. And that's why it's better to choose love. Real love. Outward sacrificial love. That's also why the writer of this article, Laura Belzone, is today canceled. That'll do it for us today and for the week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Talk to you on Monday. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, the Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodovsky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart, And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Walsh Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021.
4: Hey, everybody, this is Andrew Clavin, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the Republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Clavin Show and laugh your way through the fall of the Republic with me, Andrew Clavin.